and welcome to Parenting Help with Vigio Behavior Consulting. Join us for conversations with experts in the fields of cognitive behavior, mental health, behavior analysis, education, and child psychology. On this podcast, we examine the challenges that parents are facing and share insights and strategies that have helped other parents with similar issues. I'm your host, Katie Palmer. I'm a parenting coach and board-certified behavior analyst. I'm also the owner of Vigio Behavior Consulting. I am fortunate to be able to engage in conversations with some incredible professionals whose depth and breadth of experience can offer guidance for parents who are looking for new ideas. I hope you find this podcast useful, engaging, and insightful. Chris. Hello. Hello. It's so nice to see you. Thank it's, you for joining me. It's my pleasure. Um, for those folks who are watching or listening, this is Chris McCurry. Chris is a clinical psychologist in Seattle, specializes in childhood anxiety disorders, ADHD, and parenting support. He received a master's in developmental psychology from San Francisco State University and a doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Nevada, Reno where he studied with acceptance commitment therapy founder, Steve Hayes, way back in the early days of ACT. Retired now from clinical practice, Chris conducts online trainings, writes, and takes naps with his cat. With his colleague, Emma Waddington, Chris is launching a podcast also called Life's Dirty Little Secrets, which sounds fantastic. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about? Well, uh, we thought we'd invite people on to talk about their dirty little secrets, um, <laughs> uh, because Emma uh, and I uh, were talking about the imposter syndrome. Yes. And uh, she had an interesting statistic. She said 70% of people have the imposter syndrome and 30% of all people ought to. Um, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> so um, so we thought we'd we'd just explore, see if people were willing to to come on and uh, talk about things like uh, superstitious behaviors or even more serious things like um, uh, parents not liking their children or parents mm-hmm. parents having a favorite child which of course people never talk about. Um, so we'll, we'll see how, how this will work, how many, uh, how many dear little secrets we can uncover out there, but uh, we, we think it could be fun and hopefully uh, uh, helpful in normalizing and maybe even a bit therapeutic for people. Yeah, I was thinking about that term normalizing as you were, as you were talking about this, especially in the case of imposter syndrome and you know, some, there's some good things that imposter syndrome sort of drives us to do and Mm -hmm. to to seek assistance and and supervision and certainly in uh in many professional cases um also talking about normalizing we're here today to talk about anxiety which is something that has been uh, a, a topic that you have helped a lot of families with and probably a lot of clinicians uh sort out how to help families with could you talk a little bit about 
what anxiety is, maybe what it isn't, and the importance of um, sort of where it came from and, and why it can be useful. Sure. Um, how many days do we have? Um, <laughs> as many as you want. <laughs> um, well, ang anxiety may be a, a uniquely human thing um, because in order to have anxiety, you need to have good time concepts um, because anxiety by definition is all about the future. Um, if we're feeling uh, in danger in the moment, we call that fear. Mm -hmm. And there are brain structures deep in the brain, the amygdala, uh, other structures that are responsible for keeping us out of trouble. And uh, they have kept us out of trouble for you know thousands of generations. And so I like to say that we're all the descendants of the paranoid people <laughs> because you know, the people who weren't anxious, uh, the parents who weren't anxious about their children never got to be grandparents uh, because their children got eaten or fell off cliffs or whatever while they weren't paying attention. Mm -hmm. So we've been sort of distilled through all these generations of, you know, being wired to be anxious about the world. Um, and as parents, uh, as I mentioned before, when we were talking, you know, the most anxiety provoking thing I ever did was become a parent. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so uh, the brain structures, you know, that fire off when we're in immediate danger, that's fear. But then, you know, because we we think because we have language, we can anticipate and 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 words can stand in for the actual events. So all I have to do is think about, you know, think the words nuclear war or, you know, drive by shooting and immediately my brain starts getting activated because it, that those parts of the brain do not have good language. And, you know, they don't know if that tiger is just something you're thinking about or if it's actually, you know, outside your door. Yeah. So so we're wired to be anxious. And as, as parents, uh, this gets provoked prenatally. Yes. Uh, so. What if? Is it, is, it, is it like I always frame it as that what if? Like what if yeah. this happens? Right, exactly. What if? And, uh, and, and the what ifs will always win, you know, because the, you know, the classic kind of cognitive behavioral approach that has been useful for many decades sort of falls short when it comes to the what ifs because you, you you know but 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 and any parent knows from their experience with their child when the child says you know x is going to be a disaster and the parent says it'll be okay and yeah. the child says how do you know it's going to be okay well i just know well how do you know you know so there's there's, there's no way to rationalize with that part of the brain because it's inherently irrational so we have to work around that in certain ways. I love that idea that we can't rationalize with with those those imaginings that our children might have. Uh, I think many of us will will just start doing that. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you're okay. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna reassure you. I'm gonna take care of you. Right. Reassurance reassurance is remarkably ineffective. I mean, it can be helpful. Like, you know, do you have the keys? I have the keys, you know, okay, we're done. But, you know, these, how do, how do you know it'll be okay? How do you, you know? 
it, it, you just you just can't you can't do that. So we, we have we have to kind of do some maneuvering around that. And the kind of therapy that you know I was trained in and that you know uh, you know well this acceptance com commitment therapy uh, uh, really I think gets to that and and gets tries to get around that you know trying to pit one thought against another. And we have, we have lots of metaphors and things that, that help uh, drive that point home. Yeah, that idea that um, changing our relationship to those mm -hmm. what ifs, um, to, those, to our thoughts, um, to, to navigate how to be uncomfortable almost. And, um, and one thing that um, you had mentioned earlier today when we were talking was this idea that when we start to get anxious about something, it's not usually because we don't care. Right. It, the, the things that we worry about, the things that we want to go well, are the things that really, really matter to us. And how do we how do we help flip that script on like let's let's remove all the worry and and focus on wow this is this is something that's really important. Well, I think I think it starts with that that recognition that you know that kind of aha that the reason I'm worried about this is because it matters to me. It's it's something I value. If I didn't if I didn't care about my son's health and well being, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, but <laughs> I just, I just can't even imagine you know like somehow erasing that from my head. And even if I could, I probably wouldn't want to. Yeah, because my anxiety about my son uh, is, is evidence that, you know, I care deeply about him. Uh, and, and plus, you know, the other things that I'm anxious about. But uh, the things that, that bother us, you know, the things that make us anxious or angry or sad are, are, you know, directly related to our values and things that matter to us. And so I think recognizing that is sort of a, a place to start where it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm feeling this for a good reason. I'm feeling this because I care. And, and then from there, I think that gives us a little, a little wiggle room because it depathologizes this anxiety as this is something bad or, or wrong. It's, it's, it's an unpleasant feeling. It's supposed to be unpleasant. Yep. You know, uh, smoke detectors don't play lullabies. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anxiety is supposed to get our attention. You know, it's supposed to be like, whoa, I need to like do something, but you know, what can I do about, you know, war, you know? So there I am feeling all like agitated with no th nothing to do. And that's, so I'm just stewing. So recognizing that this is because I care uh, can be a helpful start. Uh, just, just creates a little space from which to operate. Yeah, there's this idea that I hear a lot of like, I want to get rid of these anxious thoughts. I don't want to be anxious anymore. Um, and so that, that concept of let me, let me get rid of it. Um, I think it behaviorally, we would call that negative reinforcement. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how the, uh, maybe a parent's desire to get rid of this feeling that they are having as a parent of worry or anxiety in, in trying to remove what they're seeing as an anxious response from their child, this sort of like cycle of, I want to remove that for you because then it removes it from me. Could you, I'm not explaining it as well as I think probably you could. 
Well, it's it's a tricky concept, uh, and even the term negative reinforcement is mm. misunderstood. People think that negative reinforcement is punishment, but it's mm. not. Negative reinforcement is when you do something that removes something that's aversive. Right. So if if my child is feeling anxious and that makes me anxious because anxiety is contagious or I'm feeling frustrated because he's not like, you know, going to sleep on his own or whatever it may be. And I do something that's going to terminate both of those, you know, those feelings for both of us. Like I get into bed with him uh, yet again, or, you know, I don't, I, I say, okay, you don't have to go to school today. We both feel relief, which is very reinforcing. Mm -hmm. And so the next time this situation shows up, I'm likely to do the same short-term solution with the long-term cost of my son is not learning how to deal with life because I'm, you know, removing the, the discomfort. And, uh, and that's very powerful reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And so we have this sort of short-term you know, gain, uh, but in the long run, we're not allowing our children to develop, uh, you know, coping skills and the ability to tolerate, you know, uncomfortable emotions. Um, somebody gave me this button. Get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Uncomfortable, yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's between me and that goal that I have, that valued goal is probably some discomfort. And, uh, so, you know, that's the only way if, if we live a life that's, that's, you know, centered around being comfortable, it, it's going to be, it's going to be smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, this idea that, that when I think about parents wanting to remove discomfort from their child and, and also from themselves. Yeah. Understandable. It's so under, like, it comes from this place for parents of like, I want to take care of my child. I want things to get better. And, and even going back to when our children are infants, we actually, that is, it, when they signal that they're uncomfortable, we're supposed to attend to and take care of those, those things. And there's, there's a, uh, a sort of a developmental or, or a, some sort of kind of a timeline at which parents have to start handing that baton off to the child to address their own discomfort. Right. Do you have any help for parents who are, when their children are a little older and, and, and parents are getting anxious and, and they know that they shouldn't step in, but they don't know what to do. It's like this sort of, I, I would just want to take care of this. And I think I'm not supposed to, but it's, oh, I'm having a terrible time watching this happen. What can they do? I like good red wine. Uh, but... <laughs> but uh, French or Californian, <laughs> but, but more practically, um, you know, I, again, I think it's, it's that recognition, uh, and in acceptance and commitment therapy, we call it present moment awareness where it's sort of like, okay, this is what's going on right now. And I, I, I need to be able to handle this in an effective way. And of course, you know, we don't want to see our, our children suffer, um, and we want to do everything we can to make their lives, you know, go well, but, you know, we all know that that's an impossible task. And even if we could do it, it wouldn't prepare them for later life. I, I do have an acronym oh, that I give to parents yes. that uh, I, I discovered years ago. 
and uh, thought, wow, this is really good for, uh, for parenting. And it came out of the work of a gentleman named Alan Marlatt, who was here at the University of Washington, did a lot of work on substance abuse. And the acronym is SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. Okay. And uh, I would give this to parents on a sheet of paper and, have, and say, put this on the refrigerator where you can see it. And, and, and do this when, you, when you're confronted with a situation that is pushing your buttons, your child's getting worked up, whatever it may be, the S stands for stop. Yeah. Unless your child is being, you know, about to be hit by a bus, you can take the 15 to 18 seconds it takes to do this. And I've timed it. So <laughs> it takes about 15 to 18 seconds to run through this sober acronym. So you stop. Yep. which is hard to do because, you know, we're agitated. We're, you know, we've got fight or flight going. We, we, yep. want, we want to so do our, something. Our habit might be to react. Right, exactly. And uh, those, those habits are hard to overcome, but they can be overcome with diligent practice. So we stop. We O stands for observe. We observe what's going on. Okay, yep. here I am. My, I'm going to be late for work. My child is refusing to put their shoes on. They're you know, they don't want to go to school. Okay, this is the situation. So you can begin to sort of assess the situation. And I'm hearing some of like the noticing thoughts, the noticing what's in the space. Right. Uh, back to that present moment awareness, the observation mm -hmm. is still in a slowed down moment. Right, exactly. So you're observing the situation. You're also observing what's going on inside you. You know, here I am, I can feel my heart pounding. I'm having the thought, you know, he's doing this again, he'll never blah, blah, blah. The B stands for breathe. You yeah. take a big, obvious, deep breath, which, you know, has good benefits physiologically and helps calm down that fight or flight response. But you, you, and it also helps with that stop, that pause. Take the deep breath. The E stands for expand. And what that means is you... In these situations, we tend to get hyper-focused on some aspect of the situation, which makes sense. If, if we're anxious, if we're feeling that fight or flight thing, we're going to focus on the threat. But there is no threat. I mean, my kids not, you know, kids balking at going to school, you know, it's not exactly a threat, but it's, it's a pain. But we're focused on that. And what we need to do sometimes is expand our awareness. So to do that, I, I have... I have tubes. And, and so what happens is, you know, the parent is, has this very narrowed focus where they're looking through a tube, as it were, tunnel vision. They're saying, my child's not getting their shoes on. Yeah. And the expand part is where you kind of pull back and go, yes, my child's not getting their shoes on. Well, what's the bigger picture here? You know, we all need to get out of the house. Oh yeah, he mentioned something about a test today. You know, you know, there may be other things that could help uh, make sense out of what's going on, you know, with myself or my child, you know, so you kind of expand and pull back a little bit. And that can be helpful to figure out where, where do I need to go from here? Because yeah. if it's just this, you know, you're, you're, you don't have many options. Yeah. And then the R stands for respond. And I like, I like to talk about responsive parenting as opposed to reactive parenting. Yeah. And again, if your child is about to be hit by a bus, you know, you want to react. But in a lot of these situations, you, you want to respond. And the difference between responding and reacting is that response, responding is more, 
a little more strategic, yeah. a little more thoughtful, a little more, okay, what's, you know, like maybe, uh, you, you know, you've worked out a plan with, uh, your partner and, you know, uh, the child about getting to school in the morning. You go, oh yeah, yeah. We have a contract. We have a plan, you know, so yeah, I'm going yeah. to remind my child of the plan or I'm going to adhere to the plan or, you know, or just reminding yourself of your values when you expand and go, oh, yeah, this is a value of mine that my child be able to tolerate some discomfort and get to school and, you know, take the test and it'll be what it is. So when you respond, it may not be any calmer because I think calm is overrated, mm -hmm. uh, but but it'll feel better uh, because you'll be kind of working from a place of values and and maybe a plan. Yeah. Um, so stop, observe what's going on, situation yourself, take the deep breath, expand. Now, sometimes instead of the picture getting too small, the picture can get too big. Like too expansive, right? Too expansive, you know, because you're thinking, what's this, you know, he's never going to go to college if he can't get his shoes on, you know, he's, he's six. You know? <laughs> right. you know, we have some time uh, before the college thing. Uh, but yeah, the picture can get too big. And in that case, you want to like pull it in a little bit because you're feeling overwhelmed. Uh, what's this going to be like when he's 15, you know? Pull it in, pull it in, and find that right-sized perspective where you can manipulate, manipulate the situation, maneuver, whatever it may be. So uh, I leave I leave contract out of the acronym because it would mess up the acronym. So, so but I when I hand parents the sheet of paper, I say write in or contract next to the expand. Yeah. So if that that sort of like I, I imagine a parent's thoughts kind of running away with them. Sometimes it's too, it's narrow, like you said, like get your shoes on. We got to get your shoes on. We got to get your shoes on to get out the door. Versus, if he doesn't go to school today, he's never. He's not going to succeed. He's not going to have friends. He's not going to like this, this big picture. Right? He's going to be living in my basement, you know. Right. <laughs> right. And so, like the 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 just right size, almost like yeah. How, what perspective can I put on this situation that helps me focus on those values that I'm trying to move toward? It helps me sort of pull away from my reactivity. Mm -hmm. there, there's something that we used to talk about um, at Two Roads Academy, like trying not to get caught up in the content. Mm -hmm. um, so I, when I heard you talk about like the shoes or if, if the child is giving lots of uh, verbal excuses, like, and here's why, and I need you to do this, and uh, this is what's going on, and I don't own something, I need to wear something else parents can sometimes get caught up in the, the subject right, that the exactly. child might be talking about rather than that. I love that expand idea. Like, can we pull back and say, I hear you talking about this and the car is the next step. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'll no, carry I mean, your shoes. In we go. That's a wonderful segue into uh, the next move. Oh, um, so yeah, great. <laughs> Because yeah, uh, kids will throw content at you, teenagers in particular. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, and it's easy to get caught up in the contact, you know, content, you know, uh, you don't love me, I hate you. Like, well, it's stupid. Yeah, you, know, um, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, you know, and then you're arguing with your child as to whether or not you love them or they really hate you. So, so. I can, I can hear it like, 
this isn't about whether I love you. It's you have to go to school and because you have to, we want you to succeed. And like, I can hear, I can hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brevity is the soul of wit, Um, (laughs) but that's hard because, you know, talking a lot binds our anxiety, you know, and uh, so taking that deep breath, but, but one of the best first moves to make as a response to that situation is what I call validation. Okay. So like within the R of the sober acronym, the respond component. Okay. It's responding. The best, the best thing to do is to validate and validation is just to reflect back what the child is communicating to you and, and not necessarily the content. Uh, So I'm glad you brought that up. So it's trying to get underneath it to be able to say something like, wow, you must be really frustrated now. Yep. You know, if the child says, I hate you. Wow, you must be really angry right now. Yeah. Because that's really what's going on. And if you're wrong, you're wrong, but you probably won't be because you know your child. But but just and I like brief, you know, statements, you know, this is this is what I'm hearing you say. And it's not going to turn the child's behavior off like flipping a switch, but it's an antidote to reassurance. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to instead of saying, oh, it'll be okay, but to say, wow, you're having a lot of anxious ideas right now. Yes. Wow, wow you're feeling a lot of frustration right now. And 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 then and then zip it. You know, then that's don't right, that's it. Like, then, yeah, you well, you just you just put that out there mm-hmm. and you see what the child does with it. And then if you need to say something else, you say something else, but you you, you slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, you try your best not to get pulled into the maelstrom of you know the the emotion even though you're feeling it at the time you know you can be the center of the cyclone and and just like okay what do i need to do so you validate and i like ah statements ah you're feeling x ah you're having this idea uh and you want to be fairly specific you know you don't have to get too nuanced you don't say wow you're feeling pensive right now but you know you can you can say wow you're feeling because there's a difference between being angry and being frustrated there's a difference between being nervous and being scared so you're trying to create a little emotional vocabulary and yeah. you're putting it out there I, I get the message that you're sending to me and uh again it's not going to like flip the switch but it can be the start of moving things in a different direction. There's an Australian psychologist who, she does something very similar. Uh, she calls it connect and shape, where you connect with the child, you know, through a validation, and then you, you shape their behavior into, you know, something more positive. I call it a validation redirection. Mm-hmm. So, ah, you're feeling really, you know, frustrated right now, you know, let's come over here or, oh, look at chicken. You know, this is where ADHD comes in really handy because you could just distract them. But, um, <laughs> but, but the, the key to validation, and this is tricky, but the key to validation is to not be too calm. So, you know, if my child is really worked up about something and I say, I understand you're upset, you know, it's totally invalidating. I mean, we hate it when people talk to hey I, I can we pause for a moment on that because <laughs> i i see so many um personalities in the world who are giving parenting advice go right to that place of calm your body and like like the goal is calm or the the goal is uh, even like that goal of co-regulation like maybe that's not what i'm hearing from you is like maybe it's not always 
the right move. Well, I mean, people people know from their experience. And for some people, maybe it is the right move. But for mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, I've heard so many parents say, I try to become, I try to become, I try to become, I try to become, and then I blow up. And then my kid like pulls it together because they're blowing up says, you got me. I got it. Yeah. You I know? understand what's going on for you. Yeah, yeah. In a very visceral, visceral way. I mean, yeah. if a child can't communicate how they're feeling, they will get us to feel how they're feeling. You know, I think of all parents have a keypad like on their upper chest and the kids know the code and they go in there and they go beep, 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 beep. And now I'm feeling frustrated and helpless. <laughs> you know, it's like, Wah! you know, because my child's feeling frustrated and helpless. And now we're feeling frustrated and helpless together, ah, you know, yeah. but that's not helpful. So, you know, to be able to say, you know, to recognize, oh, wow, my buttons are getting pushed. How am I feeling right now? I'll bet that's, you know, 90% of the time it's going to be how my kid is feeling. Yep. So you say, wow, you know, ah, you're feeling X. And you throw a little affect into it. You throw a little facial expression, a little tone of voice. goes yep. a long way to convey that I truly get it. Because if, you, if you're hyper calm, it's like, no, you don't, you don't get it. Right. You, you don't get don't. it. You're saying words at me. Yeah. It's it goes back to that reassurance is remarkably ineffective that you said earlier. Oh, yeah, exactly. Cause you know, it's like, you don't get it. So I, I sometimes call that going there and bringing them back mm -hmm. and you don't have to start throwing stuff to, you know, you know, you, you know, you're going to be in control, but you're going to use a little bit of tone of voice, a little bit of facial expression. And, and then you're going to take an obvious deep breath, you know, kind of, and, and then redirect them you know, say, let's come over here. Let's even just, you know, going from one part of the room to another part of the room can sometimes shift things a little bit and, and help de-escalate things. Um, the other thing that I, I talk to parents a lot about is just how change happens, you know, what we look for when real change is happening. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is something I do on the whiteboard uh, often, but I talk about the three ways that you can uh, measure these events, whether it's a tantrum or an anxiety episode or whatever. <clears throat> you can measure um, how frequently they occur, you know, twice a day, twice a week, you know, whatever. You can measure the duration, you know, uh, you know, 20 minutes, two hours, whatever. And you can measure somewhat subjectively the intensity. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have these three measures, you know, frequency, duration, and intensity. <clears throat> In my experience of doing this for over 30 years, and parents confirm this, that when real change begins to happen in these behavior patterns, is the first thing that changes is the duration of the event becomes briefer. Uh, because you're, you're doing, you know, the kid goes from zero to 60 in no time at all. Parents always say he goes from zero to 60. And they, well, they all do, yeah. you know, you know, that's, that's normal because it's yeah. the fight or flight thing. Yeah. And so, but once they're at that top, you know, it's a question of, is that going to be prolonged or are you going to get it over with as quickly as possible? And getting it over with quickly doesn't mean, you know, caving, you know, that whole mm -hmm. negative reinforcement things. Yeah. But if at that point, parent can do sober, do a good whole body validation thing, redirect, they can reduce the duration of the event and move on with life. Right. And then 
after that, or about the same time, you're starting to work the triggers better. And I work with parents on, you know, so what's, what's triggering this? And, you know, you work with those triggers, those, you know, activators, antecedents, whatever we want to call them. You can start reducing the frequency of the events. The last thing to change is the intensity. Right. And, you know, and I tell parents that and, and they're like, but, 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 that's what I want to change first because it's really unpleasant for all of us. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Uh, but that's the last thing to change because it's the thing that the child has the least control over. It's physiology, whether it's anger, anxiety, depression, you name it. So the, the intensity eventually does come down. But if the duration is becoming less and the frequency is becoming less, we're on the right track. And I've had parents come back to me after working for a couple of months and they'll say, wow, it's just like that thing you did on the board. <laughs> they're, they're not happening as often. They're not lasting as long, but damn, you know, they can be, there can be some whoppers in there. Yep. And that's when parents can sometimes like lose heart when they say, oh my God, we had a huge tantrum in the middle of, you know, Fred Meyer, mm -hmm. you know, over the weekend. And I'll say, wow, sounds really bad. Uh, when was the last one? And they'll have to stop and think you know, because it's been a while yeah, and, uh, and they handled it well, but yeah, it was unpleasant when it happened, but right. uh, they're on the right track. So, you know, keeping those kinds of things in mind uh, can help sustain us when we're uh, working through, you know, the long and difficult process of changing these uh, well-entrenched behavior patterns. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that just came to mind is this idea of, the, the normal, the normalcy, how many families are dealing with this. And I spoke to a parent um, yesterday who didn't, didn't recognize that there were many other families nearby who are struggling with almost the exact same challenges that they're faced with in their own family. And just to hear that, how many families are having these big meltdowns right before school and just aren't talking to their friends about it? Oh yeah. Well, could, yeah. We, could we normalize this experience that parents are having so that we can all feel a little bit like, yeah, we're all okay. It, it's not, this is not a measure of our parenting, whether we're a good parent or not, that our child mm -hmm. is having these meltdowns or that the morning routine is so difficult. Well, I, I, and I think it, it does go back to frequency, duration, and intensity because, you know, some things are quite normal at a certain frequency, duration, or intensity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's when things are happening, happening more frequently, like, you know, they're refusing to go to school three days a week instead of just on Mondays. You know, the tantrums are lasting two hours, you know, in a nine-year-old instead of, you know, 20 minutes or... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, windows are being broken. I mean, you know, there's, there's a certain somewhat subjective threshold at which you say, you know, we need to like be working on this or people are just too stressed out. Um, but yes, um, you know, kids, kids are doing this to their parents all over the place. And uh, um, I did it to mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, but, uh, <laughs> I guess you went back in time there for a moment. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Oh, um, 
<laughs> now, one of one of the uh, one of the dirty little secrets that we are going to you know talk about is how uh, so many of us as therapists become experts in things that we ourselves like uh, had trouble with, you know. Yeah. Which makes sense for like substance abuse counselors, you know, who are often, you know, former, you know, addicts and alcoholics and, you know, it buys them a lot of credibility and understanding of the situation. But, but um, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I gave my parents a lot of fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my grandmother used to call them. Pitching a fit. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much. This is really fantastic and such, such a great utility um, with that acronym and, and then explaining how to use it and, and just even some of the expectations around how long it's going to take um, and what behavior is going to look like while change is happening. That's such an important part of gaining some perspective for parents, certainly that I work with. It's hard. It's hard work and uh, parents need all the help they can get. Um, but it's it's been a pleasure and I appreciate you asking me to be on. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk to you soon again, I hope. Yes, let's. <laughs>